Welcome to the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. This is a show about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, David Ash. David, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing good, Max, and uh, we've got a, another special guest on this episode, which we, uh, we promised last time, and I'm excited to have him on. We do. We have an excellent guest today to help us continue with the Position Pod series. He is a writer for Hoop Magazine. He podcasts on the Hot Takes and Shot Fakes podcast. And he is an NBA Twitter conversation provocateur. His name is Josh Eberly. Josh, thanks for joining us. No problem. Uh, appreciate that generous intro. <laughs> I think it's true, man. I, I don't know if I see more people start NBA Twitter conversations than you do. Well, I, I definitely, definitely try hard to, to keep people entertained and get the conversation going. So I appreciate the recognition, I guess. <laughs> well, I think you're the perfect person to have on for this one because we're going to have the shooting guard position pods. And uh, Devin Booker starts a, a fair amount of uh, Twitter conversations. But the big question for this episode is not going to be like how good Devin Booker is now or comparing him to other young guys because that's sort of played out, <laughs> I think, in our opinions. Uh, we're going to ask more about what does Devin Booker have to do to earn his extension in the future. But before we, we move on, Josh, we kind of like to have our guests introduce themselves. I know I, I said what you do, but more in like a way of what's your basketball philosophy? Like, what should listeners know about you before they uh, before they have this conversation? My basketball philosophy. Well, aside from forgetting the word recognition in key moments, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I am very much a conversationalist. It, it's interesting just talking to David a little bit in the DMs before this. Um, you know, I've come up from Canada. Uh, you know, in Calgary and Alberta, NBA basketball is, is not super popular uh, relative to hockey or even CFL football. That being said, it's come a long way over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, you know, scraped and clawed to get every connection that I've got, every job that I've had in this business. And, you know, being, you know, the age that I am at, at 26, I've been just heavily influenced by the social media era. Even before Twitter, I was on forums and I think that's really bled into my writing and everything that I try to do via social media is like I always want to have people engaged long before, you know, writing sort of changed to link clicks. I just I like talking about this stuff. You know, people joke about NBA Twitter like comparing X or Y and Devin Booker to, you know, whatever young player. Like I, I really enjoy this stuff and I've been doing it since I was like nine or ten years old on on sports boards. So I, I, I want to bring that, you know, with me everywhere I went. And, and honestly, I mean, things get hot and conversations get had, but I really don't take this stuff too seriously. And, and, and it is both my job and my hobby. So it, it kind of collides in that way. All I took out of that is that you're only 26 years old. That makes you so mad. <laughs> <laughs> David and I are about 30. We're old men. Uh, before we get on to Booker though, we're going to, there was some rule change proposals today. So we're going to talk about that really quickly. Josh, there were three rule change proposals. They, they just they have a proposal to have it where the shot clock resets only to 14 rather than 24 when there's an offensive rebound. 
There's one to take a look at the clear path file. They haven't, they haven't said what they're going to do other than to simplify it. Then there's one where they're going to expand the replay definition of hostile act. So refs have, I guess, more things to choose from when they're trying to decide where a hostile act is. Do any of those have a, you know, give you like a angry opinion or a happy opinion or anything like that? Uh, on the latter two, I think I'm going to need like more clarification from them on, on what exactly those will mean. On the 14 second reset, I I get the the, the change of. Uh, they're you know trying to speed things up even a little bit further, but I don't really like these little tweaks. Like I, I'm kind of a history buff, and as mentioned earlier, I love having all these conversations. The less changes to the flow of the game um, via the league rather than coaching staff, the better for me. Like if a team wants to speed things up or slow things down, that's up to them. But I don't really like the league altering altering history in that way and you know it'll make the smallest of differences but in any change like this like changing the shot clock changing the minutes changing the amount of games played like anything that could change history and leaderboards and records i'm not always super hyped on but it's nitpicky because i don't think this will be that big of a difference maker david how about you yeah i'm kind of with josh on this one uh, i'm not so much into the uh the 14 second reset and uh you know as josh said we probably need some some more info on the the clear path stuff but you know my read on that again is probably the nba uh being a little bit mad that players and coaches have adjusted to the current rules a little bit and uh they they find the clear path stuff you know very hard to uh to assess or or penalize when they really want to because uh you know guys make sure they get in front of guys in the in the backcourt and and foul them then so uh, I think we'll see probably a change there that gives them more flexibility to give the clear path foul even under the you know the current rules where they where they can't quite get it and they get a little bit frustrated because you know as Josh noted that you know the NBA just wants clear free flowing basketball and uh, a, a continually tinkering with the rules to to try and make sure that happens. Yeah, and the funny thing is the clear path foul was originally added to speed up the game, right? And what's happened is there's just a replay review every single time it happens. Exactly. And that gets into the last one, too. I, I just hope whatever the change they make to the definition of hostile act doesn't make replay review take longer, because I think it's it's already kind of a problem. I hope that these changes are to reduce the amount of replay review rather than increase it. And the other thing I would just say on those on those latter two issues that you guys just both touched on is, like, I don't want the NBA to become the NFL where the fact that they continue to like expand the definition and uh you know sometimes the ref just has to make the call and and like you said if if it gets to the point where we're getting more replays and the replay is taking longer and everybody at home is arguing you know whether it was or wasn't i don't want the nfl catch situation with the clear path fall foul i don't want the nfl catch situation where like we need to replay on everything to decide and people are never satisfied like to this point, we've been okay. I'd, I'd honestly rather, I know that this was a hot year for officials, but I'd almost always rather trust the officials on the floor than go to replay. I totally agree. And I think that we got as close as we possibly got to the Des Bryant catch with the LeBron offensive foul thing last year. That was bad. Yeah, as a Dallas fan, let's not talk about that catch. <laughs> That's <laughs> let's <very> skip. <laughs> All right, David, how about we get into Did You Know before we move on to Devin Booker? Let's do it. Max and Josh, before we dive into all things Devin Booker on this episode, did you know that the 2017-18 season broke the record for usage percentage in a single season for the Suns franchise? That's right. Devin Booker's usage of 31.7% last season was the highest in Suns history. Max, I'm only going to put you on the spot with this one. Who do you think held the record prior? Oh, man. 
That's a tough one. Marbury? It was Paul Westball who wow. tallied a percentage of 30.9 in the 77-78 season where he averaged 25.2 points, 2.1 rebounds, 5.5 assists and shot 51.6% from the field. Quick aside and, and to bring Josh into this one for context sake, what do you think the highest usage percentage Steve Nash had for a single season on the Suns was, Josh? 24 uh, 23? Pretty close, 23.3%. Nice. Uh, that only eclipsed one season with Dallas, where, where the, he was 24.4%. Uh, but back to West Paul now. He, of course, was a shooting guard, just like Booker, who dabbled a little bit in playing lead guard. He has the unique accolade of being both a player and coach with Phoenix, the only two times the Suns have made it to the NBA Finals. As a player, perhaps West Paul's greatest single moment as a participant in the greatest game ever played in 1976. In that game, he was with Phoenix against Boston, but he also won a title with the Celtics in 1974. But Max and maybe Josh, you might remember one of the few highlights of the Suns last season was when Chandler dunked on the out-of-bounds lob from Bender on the buzzer. Perhaps West Paul's single most memorable moment as the Phoenix coach was guaranteeing the series against the Lakers after being 0-2 down in 93. But his most memorable moment on the floor might have been a play he called much like the Chandler-Bender lob. In the last game of the regular season before the Suns made it to that finals against the Lakers. Suns fans listening, and and maybe Josh too, if you haven't seen it before, you can get it up on YouTube, and there's a a mini doco made by the team that uh, got put out last year to celebrate 50 years in the NBA. But with 0.7 seconds left on the clock, Oliver Miller was instructed to throw the ball off the backboard from half court, and Sabalas was to pretend like he missed the lob. Uh, But the clear instruction there was to not touch the ball. Uh, Just like Triano did this past season, West Paul knew there was a loophole in the rules. The clock wouldn't start until someone touched the ball, even if it came off the backboard. So Barkley was there waiting and put the ball in after it perfectly fell his way and the game was over. Uh, Now to tie Booker back in here, guys. Booker has already broken West Paul's usage record, but he has some time to go before he passes him for points scored for the franchise. Uh, West Paul has 9,564 points and is good enough for 8th all-time for the Phoenix Suns. Booker himself has already amassed 4,120, so stands to pass West Paul well before his recent extension is even finished for the Suns. Quick guess here, guys, before I uh, give away the numbers. How long would you think before Booker could be the Suns' all-time leading scorer? You said he's at 4,000 now? He Correct. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> Can I guess instead who it is? Go for it. I man. think I know who it is. Sorry, uh, Josh, I never get these right, so I want to get <laughs> one right. It's Walter Davis, right? Correct. Yes. So there's only two Suns shooting guards ahead of West Paul on the all-time leaderboard. Uh, one's Dick Van Arsdale at number five, and Walter Davis leads everyone with 15,666 points. It took Davis 11 seasons for the Suns. But assuming health and an average of 25 points per game, it's not totally out of the question that Booker could be the franchise-leading scorer before his extension is even over, a.k.a. 27 years of age. So I'll end on that note, guys, and it seems like the perfect time for uh, us all to jump in and, and talk about Devin Booker. David, what if he averages 70 points a game? <laughs> I can't answer that on the spot, man. That's not that good, Max. <laughs> I bet it's more quickly. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, as David alluded to, as we alluded to earlier, this is going to be about Devin Booker, but we're not going to talk about whether Devin Booker is good or not. Most of you are Suns fans <laughs> listening. I think you all think he's good. We're going to focus on what Booker has to do to earn his extension, and the way we're going to do that is by kind of looking at the other extensions that have been given out over the past decade, what happened to those players, and uh, you know, the, the goods and the bads, and, and, and see what we think Booker has to do to reach either the highs or the lows. So before we get into that, though, Dave, how about you give us a rundown again of Booker's extension? Yeah, so we've gone over it a couple of times before, Max, so I won't uh, dive into it too much, but based on the $109 million cap in 1920, and Booker not hitting any of those escalators we spoke about in recent pods, it's about five years, $158 million. Yeah, as I said, I, I won't go into it too much more than that, but I think around the time that the extension hit in the first week of July, uh, Josh started one of those conversations that we were alluding to before. So, Josh, uh, do you want to give us a, a rundown of kind of your take on on what it was when the extension hit and, and clarify some of those comments? Yeah, I mean, I think a few things went wrong with that specific conversation. And the, and the first was that I was already irritated um, with Twitter that day. <laughs> but my initial point wasn't that Devin Booker wasn't worth the extension, um, nor that uh, it was some sort of mistake on, on the Suns franchise. It, it was in 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 today's game where the super teams are forming, where you have essentially an unbeatable team. How do you build around a guy in Devin Booker? Who I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that later. But how do you build around a guy when you got to pay him that kind of money? And mm-hmm. you know, like I falsely said, like he was going to get Steph Curry money, which is which isn't totally accurate, but. I'm, what I meant was like a max contract. And here's the thing, like, I got a ton of Suns fans who I think their anger was like slightly misdirected. Like, they thought I was questioning Booker and more I was questioning the system. Um, and if you've been following me a while, like, I'm always banging the drum for, I would like to see something close to NBA parity. I would like teams that are built around a Nikola Jokic or Devin Booker to have a chance. And, and I just don't see that happening when we have a team like the Warriors out there, but even to a lesser extent, teams like the Rockets now and the Celtics. And and I was just kind of venting aloud and it came off poorly on Twitter, which is often the case when you just shoot from the hip. Yeah, I think it was a, a, a decent point. And, you know, you and I kind of spoke about it after that. And, and I certainly understood the, the point that you were, you were trying to make. And I, I think, you know, delving into it, and we'll get to it in a minute as you discuss, but uh, you know, there is a point there to be made around, you know, this kind of risk that the Suns are taking with Devin Booker at this time and, um, you know, what that then means for trying to build the rest of the team out. But I note that you, you mentioned the Rockets there thrown in and I think, you know, what they did with James Harden, it, you know, kind of matches up quite similarly to uh, the position that the Suns find themselves in the moment. What do you think, Max? Well, yeah, I think that's true, and obviously Harden worked out, and that's why Houston worked out. But Josh, I, I had a question for you. Are you? Do you have any proposals in mind for how they could fix this? Like, I've heard one in the past where every team gets, like, one player that doesn't count against the salary cap. They can just kind of pay whatever they want to. Do you think that would fix it, or do you have anything else in mind? Uh, I would, like, what what I've played around with before, and we've talked about this a couple times on my, my podcast, is just eliminating the max salary, but keeping a hard cap. And in that scenario... A guy like we, you know, we talk. I, I don't know what the specific dollar is that Clay is rumored to maybe leave on the table for an extension with the Warriors. But in in a case where let's say Clay was leaving forty million over four years, he was taking ten less or something. Um, if he hits the market and anyone can pay him anything under whatever we decide, it was one hundred nine 
let's say we get to 110, whatever it is, you know, maybe a team like Sacramento offers him 55 million a year to change their franchise around. And I just think the top guys can then get paid what they're actually worth on the market. And it will be a lot harder to, to keep a team of stars because all of a sudden they're not turning down this, you know, marginal amount of money relative to what they're already making, what they've already made with endorsements and other things. They'd be talking, they'd be throwing literally millions and millions and millions of dollars away. So I, I think that could open things up a little bit. Um, the retort that I've often got is what happens to like the middle and low end guys who end up getting screwed by this. And I, I don't know what the, what the counter is at this time for that. Yeah, it's not an easy problem to solve because like, like you said, if you have a hard cap and you can pay the max players whatever you want, you just be paying the max players basically. But not to get up too far on a tangent, it's a tough question for another time. David, do you want to get a little bit into the recent history of extensions so we can start talking about what Devin Booker has to to live up to his? Yeah, so kind of, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of looking back at history instead of kind of trying to project too much going forward. And, you know, my reaction to the, you know, constant conversation around Booker was to maybe uh, try and set some goalposts for myself around the kind of guys that got these extensions in the past. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised at, you know, just how few there were and you know, how few many people Booker was joining in this company. So I looked back through it and there was, you know, 14 players since 2009 um, that have got the max extension at this time in their career after, you know, three years as a rookie. And, you know, some examples of that, uh, particularly as shooting guards, is obviously Andrew Wiggins. uh, Paul George is another. James Harden was another. Um, and Brandon Roy before kind of everything went went wrong for him in Portland. So, you know, there's some, some guys to, to start to compare Booker to, I suppose. And I was looking back at the uh, 2015 draft and Josh, Max and I recently kind of redrafted the last four draft classes and, and only five guys made it from that 2015 draft. And probably the only other two uh, that are extension eligible that you might think about are Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Stapps Porzingis. So you know, I wanted to get both of your thoughts. I'll, I'll start with you, Josh. Um, Booker aside, would you be in a position to, to give the same extension to Towns or Porzingis at this point in time? Uh, without a doubt, Towns. Uh, without a doubt, I think, um, I still think, despite you know the lack of growth defensively and, and the Tom Thibodeau issues, he, he's a franchise type player. He's a franchise type talent. I, I I would have no issue with Towns, but with Porzingis, like the health is is worrisome to some degree. I I think I would want to know very extensively like what what we're looking at with him, and I'd want to consult with my medical team. But that being said, I think Porzingis is just in that. If you have any faith at all that he's not going to be broken forever, you do it because one, your franchise has suffered long enough, and two, that that kind of a talent just doesn't come around every every week. Yeah, what do you think, Max? It's it's tough. I agree. Carl Anthony Towns, that's a no brainer. He's arguably the best big shooting prospect in history, so I don't I don't think that's much of a much of a question. But Porzingis is, is a real big question because I mean the thing about Porzingis people forget about was it's not just the recent ACL tear. Like that guy's kind of been an injury question his entire career just based on the way he's built. Like. Basketball players aren't usually built the way he is at seven foot three, lanky frame. So, I'd be nervous if I was going to give him a max, probably like a Joel Embiid max, where I have some team protection for some certain injuries. Whether you can negotiate with injuries or not, and I don't know how hard that would be, but it'd be very difficult for me to give him the full, you know, five year Devin Booker no option max. You know, in our redraft max, we had Towns going before Booker, so you know, I think it's 
at this point, particularly with KP's injury, I think it's you know pretty safe to say that Booker would probably go number two in a redraft of that class. And you've got other guys like Josh Richardson made our redraft uh, and, and Turner as well. But there's there's not a lot of depth there from that 2015 class, and the Suns definitely hit gold with with Booker at 13. But you know, going back to what I was saying about looking back at history, and you know, as I said, there are 14 players in that group of guys that. Uh, were given max extensions after after three years in the NBA, and then there's kind of two other groups of of guys where you know some guys sign the extension but not quite the full max money or years. You know guys like Giannis, uh, Clay, as Josh mentioned before, and uh, Boogie as well. I think only signed the four years, and then there's another group of guys that either team or player decided to wait the extra year. So Kawhi, we've just seen you know whether that was a a reason. I think it was floated. Uh, in rumors that that was one reason, maybe not from Kawhi, but from the people around Kawhi, they were a little uh, miffed of of why he didn't get the extension at the time. Uh, and Gordon Hayward's another one. Uh, it was definitely kind of used as a reason why he was leaving Utah is when they uh, made him go and get that offer sheet from Charlotte. So I think there's an argument there that Booker belongs kind of in in group two or three instead of the Suns taking this risk. Just when you look at the guys that are in that top group and uh, the all-star appearances and, and all-NBA appearances that they had even before signing the extension. So I think, you know, Wiggins and Booker might be the the outliers and, and it might be the, a sign of the times and kind of alluding to what Josh was mentioning before. I think teams, you know, and particularly struggling teams are, are placed in a pretty difficult position that makes them take a risk a little earlier than they maybe want to. So as I said, with this this group one of guys that Booker now places himself in, I think you know history kind of says basically all of them were were all stars in their uh, year going into after signing the extension. So that's that's the eighteen nineteen season for Devin Booker, and uh, I think Damian Lillard was the only one who didn't make an all star team after signing his extension, but he already had a couple of all stars in the bag prior. So. You know, that brings me to my question, which I think we probably all agree with. But, you know, is there any chance that Devin Booker can make an all-star team in, in 18-19? Max, I'll start with you. Is there a chance? Sure. There's a chance that a lot of things can happen. But I don't think it's going to happen. The West is just it's just so deep now. There's just so many players. Like, the guards, you know, the guards are obviously locked up. You got Westbrook, you got Harden, you got Curry. You get the alternatives now that you put James in the conference is going to just make that even more difficult. So unless there's some injuries or Booker really, really jumps, you know, pops off, then I think it's really unlikely. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I don't see it. You know, if he was in the East, it would be looking, it would look be looking pretty nice. But you know, like like you said, the depth of the conference and the amount of talent, and then you know, your your fact about the usage percentage, you know, numbers. Raw numbers tend to, to land guys in all-star games in, in combination with wins. I don't think the Suns are going to win a lot of games, and I don't know that his per-game numbers and opportunities will be higher than they were last year or, or significantly higher where um, you know they pop to such an extent that it makes up for the win. So, yeah, I can't really see it. But that being said, I mean, the, being an all-star from the Western Conference is a pretty high bar right now. It really is. So, Josh, let's get into those numbers you're talking about. So... Last season, Booker averaged 24.9 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 56 true shooting. So, you know, a little bit above the average efficiency with some pretty gaudy numbers. In fact, the numbers were so gaudy that the only people 21 or younger to have done them were Booker, LeBron James, Tracy McGrady, Michael Jordan. If those numbers go up only 0.1, 0.5, 0.3 for the points, rebounds, assists, then it'll be James, Wade, 
McGrady and Booker who have done that at 425. So obviously those are impressive stats, but it's not enough to get them to an all-star game. So what do you think it would take to get to an all-star game? Uh, I, I think on, the honest answer is the Suns being competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, for better or for worse, I'm not really sure how you guys feel about this with like individual accolades. Um, the all-star game tends to to lean heavily on winning, especially when it gets to the coaches voting and uh, and not and not the fan voting. And I, I just, for better or for worse, there are a lot of people who pushed um, that Devin Booker doesn't help you win games. And I think, not that that's really in the coach's mind, but until the Suns win games, then there's always that you're putting up big numbers on a bad team vibe. And and those kind of guys just rarely get it. Yeah, I think that may, that's that's definitely right. He'd have to average like thirty plus points a game probably just to be so gaudy they can't leave him off to make it if his team's not winning. So let's talk about his team winning. If you're trying to win this season with with Booker, how do you optimize him? Do you put him at point guard? Do you put shooting guard? Then who do you put at point guard? How do you optimize the Suns lineups to to give Booker and his team the best chance to win? Yeah, I mean I feel bad for teams like Dallas and Phoenix who felt like they took big steps forward this this offseason and are looking to make moves. You know, they each added a free agency addition in in Trevor Ariza and DeAndre Jordan. They each drafted a guy they're excited about. They're thinking, hey, we're going to step forward. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Mike Conley's coming back and Memphis thinks the same thing. Denver gets their guys back. LeBron comes over to Los Angeles. You know, there's four or five teams coming that were in the lottery last year. Like, oh, this could be our year to, to get a little bit better. Um, so I, I don't think it doesn't really matter where you play Booker. I just don't think the Suns can be competitive next year. I don't think they have enough talent on the team. Um, that being said, like I, I would be interested to see him run a little point guard. I know that they, they drafted, um, I might mess up his name, Eli Okobo. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, pretty close. Okay, and and like a lot of the draft guys, you know, spoke highly of him, and he's played overseas, and, and maybe he comes in and is better than people anticipate, and and can can handle a starting role right away. But it just feels like the Suns are maybe like a couple more years of development and a few like older, more mature pieces away from really getting into that mix. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And just just real quickly before we move on, you know, other than just good players, what kind of players in particular are you looking for to surround Devin Booker in the next? few years coming up yeah see like it's interesting like until i see booker and ayton coexist mm-hmm. you kind of like with with a wing big combo like do i want if booker's going to be the primary creator then maybe i just want three and d all around him like spacing everywhere guys who can switch and play defense and then just let booker create and Aiton do his thing but if booker isn't going to be my creator or ayton isn't um the instant offense big that people kind of hope he would be you know being compared to Carl Anthony Towns being compared to DeMarcus Cousins then maybe I, I am looking for you know that all-star guard who can run the offense and, and, and transitioning him into that first option letting Booker and Aiden play off of him but I think I think if I'm a Suns fan I'm, I'm excited to see what it all looks like and, and obviously with Mikhail Bridges and and uh, TJ Warren and I, I still believe in Josh Jackson I I feel like that's a really small camp right now but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how these guys grow and come together and what it looks like. It's interesting because in, in Suns fandom, you you will probably not be surprised to hear it. It's a big camp that believes in Josh Jackson. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of a divide there too. Jumping back a year, you know, I'm kind of calling it year zero here with Booker. You know, after signing the extension, you've kind of, you've got that one year left on your contract before the, the actual extension kicks in. So, you know, as I alluded to before, a lot of guys in that 
that group of 14 had already had all-star appearances and, and all-NBA appearances before even signing the extension. So uh, Booker's definitely behind the eight ball uh, already when it comes to that. And you know, I think, as Josh was alluding to, kind of team success is kind of directly linked to a lot of those individual awards. So it won't be until we see the Suns you know, improve as a team um, and, and make it to the playoffs that we maybe see Booker get his you know, recognition for some of these stats. But, you know, I think Andrew Wiggins is a is a good guy to compare uh, Booker to in terms of what you don't want to happen in year four uh, uh, or year zero, as I'm calling it. Because, you know, as Josh said, high numbers on a bad team. We saw with Wiggins, you know, the, the Wolves became a, a decent team, a, a playoff team uh, this past season. And uh, we saw all of Wiggins, you know, key stats drop uh, his efficiency dropped his points per game dropped and he you know he wasn't able to keep that kind of progression that he had through uh, years one to three so you know we're kind of hoping here in in year zero and then in kind of the first couple of years of the extension that uh, you know Booker probably improves his efficiency uh, and and improves some of those stats as well his passing and uh, you know his rebounding and obviously his defense which is like the the main thing that we need to to see Booker kind of you know, improve that we haven't seen as Suns fans from him too much already. But what's the what's the point of comfort for you guys at the end of of next season uh, in terms of when that extension's about to kick in? You know, Josh, you said you know you want to see the team get better. Um, what are you thinking? Like, what do we, what do we want to see from Booker, kind of stat line wise? And you know, what's a what's a maximum we we kind of hope that the Suns have as a, a win loss record next year? Yeah, I think I think to me, you know, this is. A, the other thing here that you have to account for that a lot of the guys that you mentioned didn't really have to deal with is the Suns were kind of corrosive. They didn't want to win games. You know, this wasn't a locker room or a team that was focused on, like, let's go out and play our best basketball every single night and, and, and just lay it all on the line at the hope of an, of an eighth seed. This was a team that, you know, the timeline, they were okay with, you know, taking their time, acquiring the talent, getting back to some extent. So I, I do think that, especially with Booker's defense, when people discuss Booker's defense, I think it's hard to ask a player on a team that has no chance of winning and has, you know, more or less publicly stated they're okay with having a subpar season to ask them to go give 110 yeah. at both ends of the floor every night. And, you know, offense is something that, you know, players – most players seem to want to do and, and show out for on a nightly basis and where you see that that effort slip is often defensively. So I kind of got sidetracked there, but um, all of that to say that I, I'm not really worried about Booker's per game numbers. Like if he dropped to 24 and four or went up to 36 and six, if the Suns got 10, 11 games better and you saw more consistent effort from him in the defensive end, I think that would go a longer way in convincing me that they were on the right track than him going for, you know, 32 points a game, making the all-star game, but they only win, say, 25. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And, you know, you kind of touched on, uh, you know, Booker and, and Wiggins recently in the first, you know, three years of their careers. And what's the kind of danger signs that Suns fans should be looking out for this next season when it comes to, you know, what we want to avoid with that Andrew Wiggins comparison? Yeah, so for me with Wiggins, there was concern... I was more concerned about Wiggins after three years than I was about Booker, than I am about Booker. Yeah. Um, the thing with Wiggins is like being Canadian, I've been following this kid since he was like 16, 17 years old. He is a phenomenal athlete. The fact that he hasn't put anything together 
outside of volume scoring is really troublesome. And I honestly, you know, like not to fire shots at Minnesota, there's like I, I did a, a huge thing for fansided this year. Like the, the Timberwolves have not been a successful, successful franchise, you know, on a whole. And, you know, it's easy to, bring, to blame Tibbs. It's easy to blame Wiggins. It's easy to blame ownership. But, I mean, this is a team that hasn't won 40% of their games on a whole as a franchise. And I just... I would love to see Andrew Wiggins go somewhere else and not to say that he is Victor Oladipo, but get that chance Victor Oladipo did to, you know, start over fresh somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the, everything about the Wiggins extension was gross. Like the fact that ownership was saying, we, we want you to promise you're going to get better if we give you this money. That's not how, how business should be conducted. Like you should empower your employees. Like we're really excited about your future. We see everything coming together for you. This is why we're going to pay you. Or, you know, we need to, we need another year to figure this out because you haven't earned that contract and i think either of those were more honest and and helpful than what they did and unfortunately that team's checked out like i don't think butler loves wiggins i don't think wiggins loves butler i don't think wiggins loves tibbs i don't think tibbs loves wiggins and and the the most frustrating specific thing is that wiggins got pushed out of the offense a little bit and got asked to you know create uh, or be a spot-up shooter or create as like a tertiary option and he stopped getting to the free throw line which was his best offensive skill so I think with Booker, it's a different situation. But, uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to go the Wiggins route. And that said, I, I still think there's hope for Andrew, but at the moment it's it's bleak. Yeah, uh, Max, I'll throw back to you here. You know, Wiggins kind of, you know, went the wrong way after showing pretty good signs of progression in his first few years. So, you know, as I mentioned before, Booker kind of matches up with guys like uh, Paul George and James Harden and, and Brandon Roy even in terms of, what he's done as a shooting guard to deserve this extension. And and Wiggins was kind of there in the first few years of, of his own career. But as I said, dropped off after, you know, getting the extension this year. So, you know, what is it that we want to see from Booker to kind of stay with uh, those other guys like George and Harden in terms of justifying the extensions in, in years one to three uh, moving forward? Well, I think just, just constantly getting better, right? And I think that's one of the things that, that made Suns fans upset when not just Josh, but multiple people have, have you know used the first three years of Wiggins and Booker's careers to, to compare the two players, and it, it just kind of seems manifestly wrong to do that when when Booker's has been improving every single year, while Wiggins has been stagnating or, or getting worse, and and leaves off the fourth year of Wiggins, which was you know a, a major regression. Uh, also, as Josh said, they've been in very different situations. While Wiggins has had his problems, it's mostly been clashing with other starish players, whereas Booker's just been kind of forced on this awful team where he's done everything he's been asked to do. Like, there's there's never been a story of Booker, like, refusing to do something a coach asked him to do or, or even grinding with any of his teammates. It's, it's been more just he's been in a bad situation and he's been forced to do that. And to get to Josh's point earlier, the defensive effort thing, it's it's been a huge problem so far. But as, as Josh kind of alluded to, it's kind of hard to play defense when your team is you know, actively tanking. Uh, I think that Booker's a very competitive guy. That, he's made that very clear. That guy wants to win. I think when he is the reason his team isn't winning because of his defense, I, I hope, I think and I hope, it'll kind of click in his head like, hey, I need to try a little harder on defense because, newsflash, Devin Booker's defense is not why the Suns have been losing. They've been losing because the Suns have had awful talent and they've sucked. Devin Booker's defense, if it remains the same as it is now, could be the reason why they lose in the future. He'll be aware of it, and he'll hopefully try to fix it at the very least. But that, that's kind of my take on his defense. Yeah, it was mentioned that, you know, like it, it, it sounded dishonest with the three years and the three years. But, like, I, I would contend 
that wasn't really the point, and I don't think it is because with all of these players, it's all spin and it's all relative, and it's what you're selling. So first off, the Wiggins-Booker comparison, I hadn't really thought of. Um, I was actually listening to the Open Floor podcast with Andrew Sharp and Ben Goliver, which is a great pod, and, and one of their listeners had said, you know, their numbers are really identical, here's one to three. And I just think about the level of optimism from Suns fans with Booker relative to like the disappointment in Wiggins even after year three. So I, I thought it was interesting and it was almost a positive thing for Wiggins rather than a negative thing for Booker. But you know, also some of the stats you put up earlier with like at X age they had these numbers, like we could do that for Wiggins too, where like after year two, Wiggins had better he had more points per game shot, a better true shooting percentage than Carmelo Anthony at the same age. Like there were only eight guys that had the five uh the or sorry, there's only six guys that averaged twenty points a game and had a true percentage of of 54 or higher, uh, 20 years or younger, Wiggins, Irving, James Durant, Anthony Davis, and Shaquille O'Neal. So, I mean, we could find all of those things in his first couple years as well. And then the situation changed where they brought in another wing who did the similar things to him and a coach that he doesn't really jive with. So, so when I posted that after considering what was said on the Open Floor podcast, I was saying, like, there's still hope for Wiggins. Like, this could be a lot more situational than talent. Um, and it, it, again, it was taken by Suns fans as like you're saying Booker's going to suck and Wiggins sucks and everything is bad. And I, I thought that was like a little bit of an unfair reaction. But, you know, I, I get the dynamic that's gone on with him this offseason. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't trying to say it was dishonest. It wasn't. You just literally putting stats together. It's a fact. It's not dishonest at all to do that. It's just that, you know, when, when you have Wiggins and had a year four after that, that was worse than his, you know, year three and then. Booker only had 50 games of that entire sample, his year three sample being far better than that. It's just like, yeah, like you said, you can't make a direct comparison, but, you know, on Twitter, this all gets lost. You know, you just you post stats together and people people freak out about it. Let's say hypothetically, hypothetically this offseason, Kawhi Leonard had gone to Phoenix, right? And Wigan, and so now, you know, Booker had the spotlight, he had the touches, he had everything, and now there's another wing there who's better than him, who's more celebrated than him, that's more accomplished than him. And and it changes the whole dynamic. And then, like, I mean, Booker hasn't had the the issues and he has a new coach anyway. But let's just say there was some, some possible tension with the coach. I'm just saying, like, the fourth year from Wiggins didn't do a lot to say, like, this guy is doomed to me. It was like, I, I, I still think the talent that is there is still there. And, it, and it's... I'm not saying like Wiggins could be an all-star or he's going to be better than Booker or anything. I just, again, my, my point more when I saw that comparison was, man, Wiggins really needs that fresh start and he can't get stuck here because this is just, it's not working for him there, but there's still an opportunity. Uh, but again, you know, it's 280 characters and I put their stats up side by side and I should have known how that was going to play out too. So Yeah, I think it's a really interesting observation in terms of, you know, what Minnesota did to Wiggins in year four in, in terms of, who started to be built around him uh, versus, you know, what I think we're seeing with the Suns. You know, we've definitely identified that Booker's the man. Um, they've obviously just drafted Aiton, but that's a, a combination that can work. And, you know, as you said, unless the uh, Suns go and uh, trade for a, a, a big wing piece uh, and kind of stunt Booker's development a little bit, I think, you know, all signs lead to them building around, which really kind of ties in with, you know, someone like James Harden. I think, you know, we saw the Rockets take that chance and, um, you know, funnily enough, the, the Suns were in there back then uh, when the Rockets traded with, with OKC for Harden. And I think, you know, we're seeing with Booker, they're going to put him in the primary role a little bit more. And, you know, I think that kind of says to Booker and to the 
team that he's the guy and uh, we're going to start to try and build around him, which Max, you know, kind of looking into the future and, and projecting forward here and when he's in the prime of his career, he's going to be 26, 27 years old at the at the end of this extension. So what do the Suns do to, to build around him? Do, you know, do you think he can be the best player on the team uh, will it be Aiton as the best player, or, or will the Suns have to make other moves around these guys? So, to go to uh, Josh's point earlier, I think it's going to depend a lot on what Booker turns into, whether he's going to be a primary creator or he's going to be, you know, more of a, a shooting guard, more of a Bradley Beal type. Uh, one one thing that I think is interesting, and I think people will sometimes overlook, and Josh, I'd love to get your, your take on this. Booker sort of does something that not a lot of players have done before in the fact that he gets to the line a ton and he also, yeah, he has shoots three-pointers at a really, at a nice clip. One interesting stat from our, from our friend Chris Hansen, who obviously defends Booker a lot on Twitter, Devin Booker is the first player in NBA history, so this, this is NBA history, to have a season where he had more than seven three-pointer attempts a game on 38% or better shooting and more than six free-throw attempts a game on 85% or better shooting. So to me, it seems like Booker has this potential to be sort of like this offensive powerhouse in terms of efficiency, three-point shooting, and then also getting to the line and being efficient there. Josh, do you, do you see that as a potential? And if not, how do you see him maximizing his value? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think he has the tools to be an elite scorer. I do. Like I, I think, you know, his handle has come far enough. He's improved his three-point shooting every year. He is getting to the line at a good clip, but I... But, like, when I hear a stat like that, too, like, how many guys in history have attempted seven threes? Like, we're coming in to a different era, too, right? So, like, I, not that I'm, like, I'm not trying to be cynical or, or undercut any of these. It's just, like, that's – he. you also just told me he broke the usage record and who else was putting up shots and the Suns had their own injuries. And th- this is the, the thing with your success, too. Like, I'm not overly focused on what his, you know, totals look like, what, what his per-game numbers look like. It's, like – with the ball in his hands that often are the Suns improving this year and, and that's the next look. And and really with this whole contract conversation, like look at what Harden did and, and, and some of these other guys, I think that's like almost unfair to Booker because this goes back to like our original conversation which got me in trouble with Suns fan where I was talking about the system being rigged. Like I, I don't think that Booker will ever be as good as James Harden was, you know, in these last two years. And I think that's almost an unfair bar and at the same time, like if, if we're talking, if we're comparing contract to contract, I guess I'll throw it back at you two. Are you guys expecting him to get to an MVP level? And is that what that contract said to you? Yeah, well, I think just looking back at history, you know, setting those goalposts for Booker and, and trying to take emotion out of it, I think it doesn't have to be James Harden. It probably doesn't have to be an MVP level type guy. But, you know, there is a type of player here that Booker has to become during this extension for us to look back on it and see it as a success and it has to be a perennial all-star it has to be a you know perennial all-nba type player you know there's also guys like blake and john wall and um you know others that are there are in this group of 14 that have been given the max extensions which you know i don't think any of those would be uh looked back in hindsight as failures as as rookie extensions and to answer your question i don't think he has to get to to Harden's level yeah I think Harden as a player is definitely you know Devin Booker's you know ceiling if we want to you know talk about parameters there but yeah I I don't think he needs to become James Harden but I think as I delved into this that there is a certain amount of pressure there for both him and the Suns that he does need to become 
close to a number one option, at least to match up with the guys that have been given these extensions uh, in the in the recent past, and and to definitely distance himself from a guy like Andrew Wiggins and the and the disaster that is that contract for the Wolves at the moment. So, you know, Max, what do you think? I know you've spoken about Booker as a hard and tight player a lot in the past, and do you think he needs to? as Josh said, become James Harden? Or is there a, a level below that where this extension is is still a good thing for both player and team? Yeah, so I would love it if Booker got to be the, the playmaker James Harden is. He made a nice playmaking leap last season, obviously. I don't know whether he's going to keep going that way. If he doesn't, I still think he could be maybe not an MVP candidate, but a, a really, really valuable player. Just given what I said earlier, those stats, and, and like Josh said, there haven't been a lot of players in history who've shot seven three-point attempts a game. So that's very fair, but... Just for me, it's just getting to the the line that much, and then also being able to keep up a percentage that's you know fairly high. Thirty eight percent shooting is not bad on on seven attempts, and also I'll go into this. Too, I think Synergy had Devin Booker's three pointer attempts is I think in the top five percent of the, the toughest in the league. So as those attempts get even easier for him as he has better teammates, you'd like to see him get you know higher, but you know over forty percent three point shooting while keeping you know seven plus attempts from three a game, and also maybe even you know getting stronger, getting the line more often. So I think there's a chance where he could keep his playmaking where it is now and still be be ultra value just as a as an efficient scorer from sort of all levels. Josh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And and I you know I was messing around with the filters like uh, your your friend Chris Hansen had me curious, so I I lowered it <laughs> to six threes instead of seven, and I took the percentages down from thirty eight to thirty five, and whatever his free throw was to seventy five just to get like a wider. Baseline, and the list is still nice. Carmelo, Anthony, Gilbert Arenas three times, Kevin Durant twice, Paul George, Danny Granger, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Kevin Love, Kyle Lowry, Paul Pierce, Mitch Richmond, Isaiah Thomas, and Lou Williams last year. I mean, it's a good list. I I don't think, you know, like I, I... we could have a whole conversation on the culture of of NBA Twitter and why it is that Booker has come under fire so often, but I, I don't think scoring is something that I would question with him. Like, I, I think... If, if he got no better as a scorer than he is currently, he could be the second or third option on a, on a championship team offensively. It's the other parts of his game that you wonder about, like the defense. Um, is he going to take that, as you just mentioned, like I, I think James Harden is kind of an unfair bar. I think there's like a middle ground where, as, as David mentioned, both team and player are successful and happy with how the contract panned out. But like, can he be that next level playmaker? Um, and those sorts of things are more what you worry about than him scoring at all three levels because he seems to be well on his way. Yeah, I think just kind of rounding that out and touching back on Harden a little bit, you know, you kind of look over his career and as the workload increased, kind of what Max was uh, mentioning before, the percentages uh, either improved or, or stayed, you know, around the same, both from the field uh, and from three. And, you know, he obviously got to the line, uh, you know, at a pretty consistent rate over the last five or six years of his career. So, you know, I think that's the big question with Booker. I think that's the big unanswered question that everyone still has, whether it's, you know, whether you're on the positive or negative side of where you view him going forward is, uh, you know, Suns fan have, have seen his workload be quite high for a, a rookie of, of his age. But, you know, as that increases, as the team gets better, uh, you know, as they're itching, hopefully, towards playoff basketball. Are, are we going to see, as you said, the, that efficiency, uh, the playmaking, and, you know, hopefully the defense, because he's got the size for it. Are we going to see all those things improve whilst uh, the things that he's doing right now, you know, remain the same or, or also slightly improve as, as Harden has managed to do throughout his career? But, you know, Max, I know you've got some thoughts on Booker, 
uh, from a health and, and injury standpoint with this extension um, that kind of ties into that with that workload that he's had and um, you know, do we do we want to see that workload actually decrease as this extension kicks in? Yeah, so I think one thing that gets overlooked with Devin Booker, both nationally and locally, is that he's he hasn't never he's never had a major injury, but he's had a lot of little minor injuries. He's been you know he's missed twenty games at a time, five games at a time. He's also tried to play through a lot of injuries to his credit, but it's also caused him to play really poorly. Like there's, I remember there was a game in Utah last year where he shot like two for fifteen or something just because he was clearly hurt. And after that game, they shut him down for the season. So it's, it's hard to know. Like you said, is it because he's just overworked or is it because he's going to be an injury-prone guy going forward? Is, is it going to go away when he gets older or is it going to be a constant nagging problem? It's, it's just one of those things when you give someone a max extension, you, you kind of have to worry about. Yeah, I think so. And, and Josh, as, a, as an outsider looking in, you know, you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times already on the pod, but do you do you see concerns there with Booker uh, uh, as a, you know, 21, 22-year-old with what he's already had to do in the league? And I guess projecting forward, we're kind of at the part of the pod where we're talking, you know, kind of four and five years into this extension with Booker now is, you know, what can the Suns do to, to lessen that workload? I think going back to Harden, I, I don't think we want to see him in that type of role while the Suns are this bad because you know that just means a, a ridiculous workload on him while the Suns are not you know pushing for the playoffs so you know is it Aiton who's just come in or you know what kind of pieces can the Suns add around Booker in the ways and, and learn from maybe Houston with the kind of things that they're putting around Harden to make his life easier yeah like it's interesting I know that you we're getting closer and the science is there like that possessions, that minutes, that games, the years, these, these things are all being accounted for outside of Minnesota um, by most teams. But <laughs> I, 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 th- I think I think there's something to that. And, and even if, you know, like Hart, Harden's MVP, the year he finally won MVP and the year that the, the best regular season the Rockets ever had saw him shift a little bit back to the two, still, still be, you know, a primary creator, but share that workload. And... Whether it's this year or next year, I think the Suns need to find that guy for Booker. Like even even if he is the primary creator, he needs to have somebody else that can you can take a possession off, or he can get you know come off a screen and get the look that he wants without having to initiate the offense, or he can sit for that extra minute if need be. Like that's definitely important. Like finding a running mate in today's NBA for sure. And just kind of as we're talking, I'm always like looking at stats and, and listening to what you guys are thinking about. And it's, you know, Jimmy Butler played 59 games last year, touched the ball 63 times a game, had it in his possession for 4.25 seconds a night. Booker played 54 games last year, touched the ball 67 times a game, and and on average 4.24 seconds per touch. Mm. I'm thinking like maybe that is more what you want from Booker than in, in terms of offensive creation and responsibility like maybe you want him to be the secondary handler where he can definitely you know run some sets for you and you can run things through him but he's not getting the ridiculous like 100 touches uh i'm a game like forced to create everything running every single pick and roll creating everything for himself via isolation like maybe that is the more ideal fit for him long term than the 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 all-encompassing guard yeah it's an interesting point and and you know something that Suns fans go back and forward on to kind of bring it back to this year coming is the point guard play out of the Suns current roster isn't going to be great and it's not going to give us a great window into you know what Booker could do with a a good secondary or, or primary ball handler next to him and another thing that he hasn't really had his entire career you know whether it was a 
you know, malcontent Bledsoe or an injured Bledsoe or, uh, you know, the the carousel of point guards that they had last year kind of coming through, many of which weren't really NBA players. So uh, we we certainly haven't been able to test that theory yet and doesn't look like unless Brandon Knight comes back and turns into, you know, Milwaukee Brandon Knight, we're not going to really be able to test that next year either. But, um, you know, Max, you and I kind of go back and forward on this quite a lot is, uh, you know, what do you think? Do you see him... Uh, at the end of this five-year contract, you know, being the more the James Harden primary ball handler guy. I mean, they've brought CP3 and now kind of learning from their own mistakes. So, uh, you know, or do we kind of go back to Josh's recent point in terms of, uh, you know, him sharing the workload and, and playing a little bit more off-ball? I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about Luka Doncic on this podcast anymore. You guys are making it really hard. <laughs> I think that it's very unlikely that Devin Booker will win a title as, like, the only primary creator guy with no other creator guys on his team. Yep. That just, I mean, it's possible. It just it seems very unlikely to be. Like, how often does that happen anymore? Unless you're LeBron James. Even LeBron James had Kyrie, like... It just doesn't really happen anymore. So I think they're going to have to have at least somebody who's on par with him, or maybe even a little bit better. Uh, those guys are not easy to find, but neither are giant generational big men, so I'm not going to complain too much about Aiton. So, you know, hopefully going forward, we'll be able to find someone like that. We've talked about RJ Barrett in the draft. Maybe maybe we'll be better and be able to pick up a Clay Thompson or something. We'll be able to attract a real free agent someday. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the idea is... Devin Booker is not going to be able to do it by himself. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, kind of what I'm, I'm getting at here to round out this conversation is you kind of look at those guys within the 14 maxes in recent years, uh, the ones that are all finished up or, or coming towards the end of it now. And, you know, as Josh mentioned before, whether it was at the beginning of their extension or, or the team realized halfway through, they've all kind of had decent running mates, you know, whether it's Blake with, with CP or, you know, Russ and Durant. Paul George has now moved to OKC himself and maybe realized that, you know, he's the secondary option rather than the primary guy that he was on Indiana. So all of these guys and 99% of them outside of, you know, injury during their extensions, as I mentioned before, were all all-stars, mostly all NBA players, but more importantly, all went to the playoffs throughout their entire extension, which is going to be a really interesting thing to watch with, with Booker and the Suns and whether they can get that running mate for him, you know, sooner rather than later. But Josh, kind of pulling from your pod with uh, with your hot takes that you like to finish with at the end, <laughs> if we kind of project forward to, you know, years four and five of Booker's extension, uh, what's your hot take around him and the Suns? Is he is he going to be that perennial All-NBA player? Uh, are we going to be in the playoffs? Is there, is there any hope for us as Suns fans? <laughs> I, I think he can be a very good player. I, th- I think whether he... He gets there in the next two or three or maybe four or five. I think he will be an all-NBA player at some point. I think he's going to get to the point where he puts up just stupid, gaudy numbers and the Suns are competent, if not you know, competitive, mm-hmm. and, and it puts him in that conversation. But I, I almost think like it, it's too hard to have this conversation around just Devin Booker. Like you, you mentioned in passing, you know, you're, as you were talking there, that you had a giant generational big man. Now, I don't know if it is all the other bloggers on the internet just don't like the Suns, but, like, Aiton is another guy that a lot of, like, the blogger analytic community was not as high on relative to other guys in the class like Luka Doncic and Jaron Jackson Jr. and, you know, Mikhail Bridges. What's he going to look like? And Josh Jackson, who I really like and I guess Sun fans really like, but I've seen nothing but negative negativity around Jackson this entire offseason. It's like... How how many steps forward do these guys take? Because I, you mentioned LeBron is the only guy who can really control a floor offensively and run everything. 
even in your wildest dreams, Booker's never going to get there. So can I say the Suns are going to be successful three or four years from now? I don't know, but they've given themselves a lot of options uh, in, in terms of young talent to see somebody take that jump or that next step. And I think what we need to see that from one or two of them before we can really have that conversation in earnest. Yeah, and winning's going to change everything, as you said. I think, you know, the perception changes very quickly as as soon as teams start putting wins on the board and, and making the playoffs, as I said. I think, you know, we touched on very early in the pod, these things are all linked. You know, making the playoffs is all linked to how these guys are viewed as all-stars and whether they get picked in, in some of these awards. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good point to, to end on here, Max, is despite what Booker might do in the next few years, it's it's really going to be tied to what the Suns can do as a team building around him. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, he's going to he's gonna pull them forward. Uh, you know, what do you think? Do we, do we end it there? But before we do that, I just want to say one more thing that kind of floated to my mind oh, yeah. in, in terms of Booker and, and building around this team and building a winner. It's got to be a great sign in today's era with the super team era and and all of the the players really deciding together where they're going to go and what they're going to do that A Phoenix is a nice market with great weather and B Booker is in that everybody loves you little brother you can put up buckets roll with a lot of the older stars so like I I would say like on, on things outside of the basketball court it it's very nice if I was I would feel very good if I was a Suns fan that Booker is in the NBA in crowd and, and I mean, that's a good sign. I don't know about Clay Thompson, but that future free agent when you're a legitimate team, that those are the kind of relationships and moments that, you know, we might come back to. So listeners, what Josh is saying is that the fact that Devin Booker played a ton of pickup with Kevin Durant and the fact that Kevin Durant said that Old Town Scottsdale is dope <laughs> means that Kevin Durant is coming here next summer. That, is it, can, can I quote you on that, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get me killed. We'll share we'll share the pod with that quote from you, Josh. And uh, I think uh, Max has already uh, hinted that uh, Booker himself thinks he's got a, a big free agent in in 2019. So uh, yeah, we'll tie all that together and 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 write a headline about Durant to to the Suns. I think we agree on that, so it's a good place to end it. But before we end entirely, Josh, we do something at the end of all of our episodes. We call it the seven seconds or less segment. One of David or I asks the other and the guest. Three questions for which the other has not prepared and for which she only has seven seconds or less to answer, although we always break that rule. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm down. Max has run through the rules for you, Josh, so I'll dive right in. There were four guys I'd class as shooting guards in the All-NBA teams last season. That was Harden, Butler, Oladipo, and DeMar DeRozan. I'm going to throw Clay in as the fifth. How would you rank them in order in terms of their impact next season. I'll go over them again. you got James Harden, Jimmy Butler, Oladipo, DeMar DeRozan, and then Clay as the fifth. Max, I'll go with you first. Harden, Oladipo, Clay, Butler, and DeRozan was the fifth one? Yeah, that, I think that's my order. That's your order. Josh, what about you? Um, Harden, Depot, Butler, Clay, DeRozan. Interesting, but I'll move on to question two. The next five guys, or the future as I'll call them, are Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal, and Gary Harris. I won't make you rank them. I just want you to tell me who makes an All-NBA team first out of those five. Josh, you've got Booker, Mitchell, CJ, Beal, and Gary Harris. Mitchell. Okay. Max? For me, it's either Beal or Booker. I'm going to go with Beal, because I think Wall will eventually get traded to a desperate team, and, and Beal will, will make one. All right, I'll go to number three. Josh, we spoke before about the uh, hot takes on your pod, so 
Uh, I'll give you both a chance to give me a hot take for next season. It can be Suns related, it can be general NBA related, or uh, bonus points if it's uh, shooting guard related. <laughs> I'll go first. My hot take is that the Boston Celtics are going to win the NBA championship. Ooh. And I don't know, their shooting guard will be good. Josh, how about you? Can you match that? Um, <laughs> I mean, going against the Warriors, no. Um, but Denver Nuggets are the third best team in the Western Conference. Ooh, that'll be an interesting one to track. Thanks for that, Josh. Well, cool. That was fun. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Uh, plug anything you want. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, on Twitter all the time. I will interact with you. Hit me up. Uh, Hot Takes and Shot Faces is my podcast. Most of my stuff goes to Hoop. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Josh. We've uh, done a couple of written things in the past before, but it was, it was good to finally jump on a pod, and we'll have to have you on again during the season. Oh, yeah, it was good. And, and honestly, that that all-NBA one with, with Mitchell, I'm just like, I think Jazz win enough games where he could get into that conversation with the usage but that that was a good question because i think if wall gets traded be also good answer there too <laughs> it was good to qualify that we don't need any booker fans coming yeah. after you. all right well thanks everyone for listening my name is max mcc11 on twitter david is at the four point play twitter and we are at seven sol pod on twitter david thank you very much thanks max and thanks josh thanks everyone